0: So as I mentioned in the welcome, we're studying through our seven commitments right now as a church, and today we're on commitment number three, which is abbreviated and kind of the new way we're looking at this, and it just simply says, we will pursue unity focused on Jesus. In the first service, as I prepared the sermon, uh, I intentionally prepared it shorter because you kind of have to double the time when it's translated. Translated. So I prepared kind of a choppy sermon so I could take breaks, so Juan could translate for me, intentionally shorter. So we'll see whether or not this is going to be a shorter sermon or much longer because I started elaborating on things I couldn't in the first service. We'll just see. What You can, you can tell me what you think. So we're going to talk about unity today. And as I think about unity, I think about God's kingdom. God's kingdom is very diverse. In the kingdom of God... Everyone is welcome. So we have all kinds of languages and different races and cultures. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter and the other apostles present the first gospel sermon after the Holy Spirit was poured out on them, all these people had gathered in Jerusalem. And how did they hear it? Well, they heard it in their own languages. So from Acts chapter 2 on, we see just how diverse God's kingdom is. However, throughout church history, and even until today, we kind of end up up segregating into our own comfort zones. When I first think of unity, especially when I first came to Pine Tree, reading Commitment number 3, my first thought was pursuing unity amongst races and cultures and languages, and that is a noble vision. The church should be a reflection of what God's greater kingdom should look like. So commitment number three, we will pursue unity focused on Jesus, gives us an opportunity to dream big. But yet we are a church of difference. There's a Christian author named Scott McKnight that says we are a fellowship of difference. We have all kinds of difference here. And I wrote down just a list of things and how we're different. We have different passions within our church. We have different spiritual gifts, which we'll talk about here in just a few minutes. We come from different uh, you know, I already mentioned races, cultures, languages, but we also come from different socioeconomic backgrounds. In this church, we have different generations like we talked about last week, probably five or six different, different generations represented within our church. We have different personalities, and what comes along with that is we have different senses of humor, different hobbies, different interests. If you're a parent There's probably a good chance that within our congregation, we have all kinds of different parenting styles. We don't all parent the same way. When it comes to understanding the Bible, we have different ways of viewing the Bible and different ways of interpreting the Bible, and we have different expectations of what church should be. We are a church of difference. There's all kinds of differences that we have within this church, yet, we are called to be one body. And I think it's fair to say, biblically speaking, we are called to be one diverse body. The scripture reading from this morning was Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4 through 6. And in that text, there's seven ones, one being O-N-E. And in Ephesians 4, and verse 4, the very first one, it says we are one body, unified by one spirit. So we are called to be one diverse body. In the year 2020, our theme was Christ in Us. All throughout the year, and we had no idea that a pandemic was coming and was going to separate us physically as we tried to focus on unity, but our main theme was Christ in Us, motivated by commitment number three. And throughout the year 2020, I tried to preach on as many unity passages as I could find in Scripture, kind of scattered and massaged in throughout the year. But our main theme in 2020 was John chapter 17, verse 20 through 23. This is the prayer that Jesus offers right before he is crucified. And what does Jesus pray for? Anybody know? Unity. So every Sunday that I offered a public prayer at the Pine Tree Church of Christ, every single Sunday like I did this morning, I prayed for unity. And I'll be honest with you, I have no idea what that would look like. I mean, I got a feeling But I don't even really know what I'm praying for. I just prayed for it because Jesus prayed for it, so it feels like the right thing to pray for in a very divided world. Let's pray for unity. And maybe God will answer our prayers in ways that we could never expect. In this prayer in John 17, Jesus, in the first 19 verses, he's praying for his disciples. He's praying for their unity, for their protection, as he gets ready to leave them. But then in verse 20 through 23 of John 17, he switches gears and he begins to pray, for all of those who will believe in him through the message the disciples will preach. So Jesus is praying beyond himself in John 17. Jesus is praying for us. For example, in John 17, verse 21, he said, I pray that all of them may be one. Will you just say that with me so I know you're with me? All may be one. And Then he says, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Skip down to verse 23 and Jesus says, I pray that they may be brought to complete unity. Let's all say unity together. You ready? Unity. There we go. So Jesus prays to be one. He prays to be unified. That is a lofty prayer. That's a prayer that I'm not sure throughout church history has ever really truly been answered, but Jesus was passionate about it enough that he felt like he should pray for unity. So we pursue unity as a church because Jesus was passionate about unity. Jesus cared so much about it, he prayed for it. We pursue unity because you read throughout the rest of the New Testament, especially the Apostle Paul. He was passionate about unity. As one commentator said, that pretty much all of Paul's letters come down to that theme, unity. Paul was attempting to unify together Jewish believers and Gentile believers who came from very different backgrounds, and he's trying to unify them together as one church. So we pursue unity as a church as well, but we live in a divided world. Uh, We live in a world where if you watch the news or if you're ever on social media, what will constantly, the message, the narrative that will be presented to you and will constantly work in the background is why you should hate other people. Or why you're different. Or why somebody's different from you. They have a different belief or cancel culture and all these different things. And we are constantly taught to divide and to not like each other or other groups. Division is easy. It really is. In my opinion, division is one of Satan's greatest tools. But pursuing unity is God's work. Pursuing unity is kingdom work. And pursuing unity is not easy. But we are determined to pursue unity, even though we're diverse, because we believe that's what God wants us to do. For the sake of this lesson, and because it was an easy way to approach it for a translated service in the first service, I'm going to share with you four unity reminders. These are four, I guess you'd call them insights. They've been on my mind, my heart the last several weeks. I wrote them down late one night, like two or three weeks ago. And I've kind of built a lesson around it. So they're called unity reminders because for most of you, it's not going to be something new. It's not going to be some new revelation. But these are four reminders that we probably all need to be reminded of as we pursue unity. So here's the first one. The first unity reminder is to think our, not mine. So from the time we start to speak as toddlers... We learn a couple of words that I don't know where we get them from. My kids said them as well, and I didn't teach it to them, but the words are my and mine. Right? You ever notice that? If you've raised kids, that's my room, that's my ball, that's my toy. When is it my turn? And it's all about me. So as parents, we're trying to teach our children how to share. But the truth is, as we grow up into adulthood, we don't really ever grow out of that mindset all about me. We live in a society that's a me-first, a me-focused society, and that bleeds into how we approach church and church life, is that we're constantly thinking, what's in it for me? But when it comes to pursuing unity, it's more about what's in it for us, like instead of always thinking, what do I get out of this? What if we think, how does this affect not just me, but the entire group, the entire system? How does this affect the entire church? What if we learn to think not so much about me, but about us? So I'll take you back to the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, Luke chapter 11, Jesus teaches this very famous prayer, probably the most well-known prayer in the entire world, that we call the Lord's Prayer. What are the first two words in the Lord's Prayer? Anybody know? Our Father. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's plural. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The prayer that Jesus taught us is plural. That was a huge, uh, I guess you could say, insider revelation to me just a few years ago. Jesus doesn't teach us to say, my father, like some American individualized concept. Jesus teaches us to say, our father. Because we're in this together, we share the same father. If we want to pursue unity, we need to find commonality. So no matter what race you are, no matter what background, where you come from, what language you speak, what culture you're from, we share the same heavenly father. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 21, a few years ago, we challenged the Pine Tree Church of Christ to memorize this prayer that Paul offers for the church in Ephesus. Anybody remember that? We tried to memorize this, preached on it several times. The prayer starts in Ephesians 3, verse 14 and 15 like this. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name or takes its name. Paul's attempt in the book of Ephesians is to unify Jews and Gentiles. He reminds them in the beginning of this prayer that we all have the same father, our father. And he elaborates that on saying we share the same identity, we share the same family name, we take our name from our father. You see what Paul's doing there is subtly, he's trying to help promote unity. We have the same Father. And then he flipped over to the the next chapter, Ephesians chapter 4, which was, again, from our Scripture reading. The seven ones in Ephesians 4, verse 4 through 6, and the seventh one says this in verse 6, We have one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So a helpful unity reminder is to think our, not my. We have the same Father. And that's helpful, especially when you're frustrated with someone or you're ready to experience division or you would prefer division. When you think about unity, remember it's our Father, not just my Father. The second unity reminder is to focus on Jesus. Well, that is a Like a good, typical church answer, right? Focus on Jesus, or Jesus usually seems to be the right answer. Thinking about unity. If we focus on unity for the sake of unity, we will probably never achieve unity. But if our focus is on Jesus and the mission that Jesus has given us, there is a good chance that through keeping our focus in the right direction, we might just experience unity. Uh, This example or metaphor Uh, has been really helpful for me over the last five or six years, and I probably return to it almost every year. So, For all you A-plus students who have heard all the sermons, you've heard this example before. For everybody else, you're going to be like, oh, that's interesting. Well, I've told it two or three times already since I've been at Pine Tree, but the, uh, the story goes it's about farmers in the Midwest, and in the wintertime, if they're out working in the field or tending to the animals or in the barn, if all of a sudden a blizzard comes, And invisibility is almost impossible. You've heard stories of farmers who got caught in these blizzards and couldn't find their way home and wound up dying out in the cold. What they learned to do was to tie a rope from the house to the barn. So if they were out there working and they got caught in a blizzard and they couldn't see their hand in front of their face, the one thing that they knew to do was grab a hold of that rope and the rope would lead them home. Now, think about this idea of a blizzard and a rope. We live in this society that, to me, honestly, it feels like a blizzard most of the time. If you get on social media at all or if you check the news, it is a blizzard of information, of division, of hatred, of skepticism, of us versus them. And Jesus is kind of like that rope. But if we just keep our focus where our focus needs to be and hold on to that rope, we might just experience unity when the world around us is chaos. So focus on Jesus. Focus on the mission that he has given us. In Hebrews chapter 11, it's known as the Hall of Faith chapter. You're probably familiar with it. By faith, by faith, by faith. With Abraham and Moses and all these great characters from the Old Testament. And If you kept reading into Hebrews chapter 12, the culmination of that list is Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, it says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus. The pioneer and perfecter of our faith. I like Hebrews 12 too. It's just fix our eyes on Jesus. If we want to pursue unity, fix our eyes on Jesus. Keep our focus on Christ and what Christ wants and not our own needs. So remember, unity doesn't mean uniformity. Unity doesn't mean that we always agree on everything, but unity involves a common mission, a common goal. And Jesus has given us a mission. If we want to pursue unity, let's focus on Christ, focus on the mission that He has given us. We have the same Father, so we think our, not my. We have the same mission, so we focus on Jesus. And the third unity reminder is to choose the path of the cross. And in my opinion, this is the most challenging one. I was thinking of the invitation that Jesus gives, so I landed on Luke chapter 9, and verse 23. This invitation that is for anyone. Luke tells us in 9, 23, that Jesus said to them all, to anybody that was listening, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Jesus offers an invitation, just kind of a blanket invitation. Anybody that wants to be his disciple needs to pick up their cross daily and follow him. Deny yourself. So what does the cross represent? When Jesus offers this almost brutal invitation to be his disciple, well, in, in the first century before Jesus was crucified, when he said this, the cross represented a cruel way to die. We often call it a Roman execution stake. This is how Rome would kill their rebels on a cross. So when Jesus extends this invitation to his disciples, he's saying, "Pick up your cross." That's what they would have thought of all the people that they have seen crucified as a punishment. But after Jesus dies on the cross, what does the cross represent? Well, it represents sacrifice, self-denial, forgiveness, and reconciliation. That's what the cross now represents. So this invitation that Luke gives or Jesus gives in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23 is essentially an invitation to come and die with Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said that when Christ calls a man he bids him come and die. Jesus invites us to die to ourselves. Jesus invites us to join him in the path of the cross and die to that part of us that always has to be right or that die to that part of ourselves that always wants to get what we want to die to ourselves easier said than done. But Jesus invites us to join him in the cross so there's spiritual unity and there's relational unity. We are all unified because of Jesus and the sacrifice he made for us on the cross. There's a preacher in Fort Worth, Texas. Many of you probably have heard of him. His name is Rick Ashley. And I heard him say recently in a sermon, and I thought he summarized it well. He said, Jesus purchased our unity on the cross. So that's spiritual unity. But the Holy Spirit told us to keep it and maintain it. So Jesus has provided unity for us, but we are taught to pursue and maintain that unity through relational unity. Relational unity is challenging. It's difficult because people are difficult. People hurt each other. We offend each other. We betray each other. And if we're being completely honest, we've probably done that to someone else and not even realize it. Sometimes it's unknowingly or unintentional. Human response The human nature to relational difficulty is to hold grudges against people, to judge them, to gossip about them. If somebody has hurt you, your tendency probably for the rest of your life is to see the negative in them. As long as we respond to human relational problems this way from a, a human standpoint, we will always experience division. The cruciform response through these relational problems, these relational difficulties, choosing the path of the cross is to join Jesus in offering forgiveness, seeking reconciliation rather than retaliation, grace, love, mercy. To give to others what Jesus gave to us on the cross. The hard work of relational unity, pursuing this unity amongst our brothers and sisters is a part of our spiritual growth. Last week, when I talked about commitment number two, we will be a loving, intergenerational church family, I mentioned a book that I've read a long time ago and reread recently called "Intergenerational Christian Formation," written by the author's last name, Holly and Allen. And they said something in their book that I think is worth sharing right now. I going will quote them. So just as it would hurt the physical body to detach limbs. It also damages the spiritual body when we disengage with one another. Those parts of our church body who seem easier to get along without may actually be the most important part of our spiritual growth. You know, that hit me when I read that. I thought the people that you would just rather not have to deal with, the people that you would just rather deal, be without, you know, you don't have to deal with them, you don't get along with them, that's like detaching part of the body. Those people that are hard to get along with, if we can learn to love them and see the good in them and learn to reconcile and seek this kind of love and grace giving relationship, that's part of our spiritual growth. That's part of choosing to pick up our cross daily as Jesus invites us. To pick up our cross daily is a step towards unity. So we share the same Father. We focus on not. Well, on our, not my, we, we share the same mission. We focus on Jesus. We share the same path to the cross. We share the same cross that Jesus called us to bear. And the fourth unity reminder is to celebrate each other's spiritual gifts. The plain and simple fact is that God has created us all unique and different, and that's a good thing. Wouldn't it be weird if God created, created us all to share the same exact passions and have the same exact talents and gifts? Life would be boring. Instead, the uniqueness of our church, the uniqueness of our world is part of God, how God created us. And what goes along with that is God has gifted us in different ways. I'm not going to read it. I would encourage you to read it. I sat down and read it last night. I read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and then I kept going to chapter 13, chapter 14. But specifically in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul presents the church like a human body. That Each part of the human body is needed, whether it's the fingers, the nose, the eyes, the ears, the toes, the arms, the legs, whatever it may be. When one part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. The ears can't say to the eyes, I don't need you. The eyes can't say to the ears, I don't need you. It all functions together as one unit, and so does the church. And I think what Paul was comparing that to is we all have different spiritual gifts. God has gifted us in different ways. And instead of competing with one another, instead of looking down on somebody else because they have a different spiritual gift than you, celebrate that. Because that's part of how we form one whole body under the lordship of Christ. I encourage you, if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, to go on a journey to explore that, discover that. And I also encourage you to know all the other spiritual gifts that are listed in Scripture, whether it's 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter chapter 4. There's different lists we have of spiritual gifts. Become familiar with them and see if you can identify the spiritual gifts in others and celebrate that. We want to pursue unity while focused on Jesus. We have the same Father. We have the same mission. We have the same cross that we are called to carry, and we're all a part of the same body, although we're unique and we're diverse. As I was preparing for this lesson, I I came across this example that I thought was really fitting. It's about Northern Ireland and all the conflict and division that's taken place in Ireland, especially Northern Ireland, between Protestants and Catholics. And there's this city where they are completely divided on either sides of the river. Catholics on one side, Protestants on the other. And with all the conflict and all the hatred and all the violence over the years, they don't mix, or at least they haven't for a long time. About 10 years ago, somebody had the brilliant idea to build a bridge from the east side to the west side. And on this bridge, you could walk jog, cycle, exercise, whatever you want, but this bridge is a neutral ground. For the two sides that traditionally hate each other and they don't mix, the bridge gives an opportunity for, the, for people to intersect and to cross paths, and they call it the peace bridge. When I read that and I looked this picture up, I thought, man, that is probably a, a, at least a great glimpse of what we can show the world as a church is we can be that bridge, That bridge between somebody who is lost and somebody who needs to find Christ. That bridge between a world that is completely divided and experiences disunity all the time. We can be that bridge. And within the church, we can be a bridge. Pursuing unity. Building peace. So we will be a church that will stay committed to, even though we're diverse, pursuing unity while focused on Jesus. That's commitment number three. Jesus has given us unity on the cross, the spiritual unity. So if you are sitting here today and you feel divided from God, you feel separated from God, If you need to be united with Christ. Maybe that's through baptism or maybe you just need to receive prayers and kind of rededicate yourself. Here in just a second when we offer this invitation, you don't have to stay divided. You can be united with Christ. If you feel divided from your brothers or sisters in Christ, Maybe you need to take some steps today to seek unity. If you need anything, you can come up front and respond. I'm here. Gary uh, is here, one of our shepherds. And if you need to be prayed for, if we can help you in any way, we'll invite you to stand, and we'll continue to sing. When we walk with the Lord.